Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Father, thank you. I'm excited for all the things in front of us, God, for how good you are. And uh, may you remind us that the, the future is bright and that the future is filled with hope, God. And so we, we boldly step into this season of spring where all things are being made new, God, that you would come and renew us in the process, um, that we might be made new as well, that we might experience our own resurrection in this season as a result of your interacting with us and us interacting with you. So we're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're on the very last talk in this series that we've been doing on justice called Beyond the Hashtag. And I don't know about for you, it's been a really rich series for me, as just as a communicator. Some series I'm like, hey, we need this, and we're going to deliver this because this is what the church needs. And this has been a really powerful conversation, even for me as a communicator, to synthesize what does it mean to engage in justice from a, from a new perspective. And we've been really committed to taking a look at what does the scripture say about justice? Because I noticed there are kind of two types of people in this justice conversation in our culture today. One are the people that I call like Bible Plus. And, uh, and it's kind of like Disney Plus, you know, like it's like Disney and National Geographic and, and, and. Uh, and there's a whole group of people that are kind of like Disney Plus, like the Bible Plus, fill in the books, fill in the authors, fill in the cultural ideas, fill in the things that they learned from their professors somewhere. And that's, that's not necessarily a problem because at Humanity Church, we use all kinds of materials that aren't found in the scriptures. We, we use uh, even assessments like the Myers-Briggs or the Strengths Finder. We did a whole series on the, the Enneagram through the lens of the scriptures. The problem is that when the plus becomes the platform, rather than the scriptures become the platform. It always has to be that the scriptures support the plus, not the other way around. And oftentimes we are examining the scriptures through the lens of the plus, whatever we add to it, rather than examining the plus through the lens of the scriptures. And so that's, that's one crowd that oftentimes gets mixed up in this biblical conversation around justice. The other group that I, I, I was trying to figure out how to describe this group, but to me, the, like this, this name came to me for them this week, and I call them like the angry turtles. And... Um, because what happens is when things get chaotic or when things feel out of control or when things are out of their norm, they pull into their shell for self-protection. And they're kind of like, uh, they either pull in for pr protection or they pull in because they don't know what to say or they're scared or they're like, I don't think this is Jesus or whatever it may be. And then they go inward with everything happening around them. And then when they get angry enough, they come out and they're like, shank you, right? <laughs> like They're like, and it's usually like with a meme or a comment or with something. And then they're like, ah! Right, and then so so they'll find themselves like, hey, I'm not going to talk about this. La la la, this doesn't exist. And all of a sudden, they pop out and they're like, ah, with their comments or with their thing that they're posting or whatever it is. And um, the thing is that the hard shell is just protection, right? Oh, 
got new, new sounds upstairs. It's, it's just protection. And here's the thing. It's, it's hard work to stay soft. It's hard work when you're confused or angry or don't understand things to stay soft in the middle of all of that. Now, here's the thing. I love that this conversation has been connecting to so many different people, that it's been connecting to people who are really strong on the justice side of things, people who are more afraid of the conversation around justice. I can't tell you how beautiful it's been to have so many uh, extra conversations outside of the gathering around what we've been engaging over the last few days. And I know that some of you have been frustrated that we aren't doing enough, like we should be doing more, we should be out there, we should be protesting, we should be going and doing this, we should be engaging this way, and I get it. And then other, others of you are like really afraid that we're going to become like the woke church. I get that as well, right? You're like, oh no, this sounds like that, and I hope that we're not that. And let me just tell you, I hear you, and we're going to do all of this different as a community. So, so if you're frustrated on either side, that's probably a, a good thing, right? <laughs> I look at Jesus, and I look at him, and his followers were constantly frustrated with him. Because they were saying, hey, you're supposed to do a political revolution. That was what you're supposed to do. You were supposed to, you're supposed to get out there and take over Rome. And he's like, yeah, that's not my job. And then others were like, you were supposed to create a new religion or to, to engage in Judaism in a new way. And he's like, yeah, that's also not what I'm up to here in this space. And so there's a new way that we're going to engage this. And, and we've, we've been talking about how in order for justice to take place, to have teeth, there has to be a few things that have to be universally true in this conversation. One, human beings have to have some inherent worth beyond things like skin color or class or gender, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. There has to be an inherent worth that is inside of every single one of us that, that transcends just our secondary characteristics. See, because once we recognize that every human being has inherent worth because they are an image bearer, because they are created by God, we can then celebrate all of those secondary characteristics. Our skin color, our gender, our every, you fill in the blank with all of that. And so we can then celebrate that. Otherwise, all of those secondary characteristics are a liability. They're not something to be celebrated. And so once we are first able to see one another as image bearers, then we can look at everything else and celebrate it with one another. The other thing that has to be true is there, there must be some type of universal standard for morality that, that is like true for every human being across the board. Otherwise, all of this is just opinion. It's just basically like, hey, it feels like the poor shouldn't be poor, or it feels like we should help the widow, or it feels like we should take care of the immigrant. Otherwise, it's just feelings, and guess what? Feelings change constantly, and so if you're basing your just, judge, justice on feelings, you're going to be constantly shifting, and that will not work, so there has to be some universal moral standard that we are going by. I'm going to advocate for the scriptures as being that, as the most powerful standard for what it means to be human with one another. And then there is this, sorry guys with my mic today, there is this biblical reality that uh, all human beings are flawed in some way, shape, or form, and that affects the rest of the world, whether we like it or not. The, the, one of the passages that oftentimes comes up when we talk about the story of Jesus is in Romans 3, 23 through 24, and it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. It's actually odd to me when Christians argue that justice isn't needed. Because actually, like, the theology of humanity is based on the fact that we are all broken. 
So it shouldn't be a shock that when we look out at society and we go, wow, there's a lot of brokenness taking place all over around me that needs to be rectified, that needs to be corrected, that needs to be engaged with in some way, shape, or form. And so Jesus actually came to redeem us from our brokenness. And so it starts with that personal redemption inside of us, recognizing that we were all in need of justice and that he covered that so that then we can become redeemers of the world around us that we participate in justice because we've been the recipients of God's justice. Justice is restoring the lack of rightness in every single part of the world. I mean, just, just for a moment, let me just take a, a, a quick poll. How many of you, when you look out at society right now, you're like, things are pretty good, like they're perfect. Anyone? So what, what that informs me is that there is an inherent recognition that justice is needed in the world around us to move us towards a space of rightness. Now, here's the thing. I know that the church gets a bad rap for this. And oftentimes the church is the first place that people love to attack and hound about how we don't do justice right and how, how we should be doing more. But I, I was just looking up some stats this week that are actually quite astounding around our faith and justice. Did you know that one of, every, one of five hospitals in the world is faith-based? That, that, that actually tomorrow, if every faith-based hospital closed down on the planet, we would have instantly a medical emergency across the globe. And so we oftentimes plant hospitals and medical centers and medical missions where it is needed the most. And if all of those were to go away tomorrow, millions of people would die instantly. Followers of Jesus are twice as likely to adopt a child in foster care than those who do not follow Jesus. 70% of food distributed to the poor happens at a church. 70%, well over half. 75% of all disaster relief with FEMA comes from faith-based communities. And the overwhelming majority of money that goes to charity comes from people that call themselves followers of Jesus. Now, now, I don't say this to say we get everything right, because if you know me, I will be the first to point out all the things that we get wrong. But I think sometimes it's easy to look at the church and just to pour cynicism over it, rather than to take a look at where we're actually getting it right. And these are some powerful statistics in there. And so today, as we close out this conversation, I want to take a look at the, the quintessential verse on justice. It's the verse that, you know, people have tattooed on them, and they, they quote often, which is found in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And it says this to us. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is such a, a powerful framework for how we are to engage this conversation around justice and how we are to live this out with one another. And the, the, the context is actually really fascinating for this passage of scripture because it's God talking to the people of Israel. And he basically says, look, I've been faithful to you nonstop. That hasn't changed. That's not shifted once. But you have been incredibly unfaithful to me. And, and he's frustrated, right? He's basically like, look, I've kept up my end of the bargain. You have not kept up your end of the bargain. And when you read right before this, basically what God is telling them is he says, you keep bringing things to me to appease me. 
You keep thinking that if you bring me enough things, then somehow this is going to make this all better. In fact, he goes through the list, and he actually, if you read through this in Micah 6, he, like, he's like, look, you think you can bring me a calf to sacrifice? You can bring, like, you're gonna, you, you've brought me a thousand rams, and you think that's going to do it? He's like, you've brought me 10,000 rivers of olive oil, and you think this is going to cover it. He even actually says, some of you are like, hey, you have my firstborn, and you think this is going to cover it. And God says, I do not want all of these sacrifices from you. I do not want you to perform your way out of this. See, because oftentimes what we think that God wants is a transaction from us to make things right. And not much has changed since Micah was written. Because how often do we find ourselves thinking, oh, I posted the right thing. It's better now. I checked off the box. I, I did my good deed for the day. I, I said the thing that I was supposed to say. I did the thing that I was supposed to do. Now we're good, right? I sent my prayers and good wishes. <laughs> and everything's covered, right? And God comes back with, no, I actually don't care about any of all that. He said, I've actually shown you what I want. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And it isn't performative transaction that God wants for us in this conversation, he actually wants all of this to flow from an authentic connection with him. That from our connection with the eternal, we might then go out and transform the temporary all around us. And it starts with this phrase, act justly. Some translations say to do justly. Notice that this is an action word. It starts with action. It says to act justly. This isn't, he doesn't say, hey, look, uh, what I want you to do is to feel justly. I don't want you to think justly, not to imagine justly, not to hope justly, not to pray for justice, not to intention justice on the planet. None of that. He actually says, look, this is what I want you to do, to act, to do justly. There, there's this modern phrase that's going around in the justice movement that I hate so much, and it's this phrase, do better. I heard that before. I, I, I hate that phrase because it's often punitive. It's not like an encouragement. Like, hey, let's do better. It's like, do better. Like, you've been doing bad, so you need to do better. And better is always problematic because if I was a horrible person yesterday and today I'm a little less horrible, I'm better, right? <laughs> but no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? What I really want to be is a little less horrible, right? <laughs> There's a bigger conversation that God is up to in the middle of this. But here's the thing. At some point, our faith actually has to have legs to it. Our, our concept of justice actually has to become us acting justly. In 1 John 3, 16, this is what John says to us. He said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, See, it all stems from our connection vertically and then goes horizontally outward. And he says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongues, but with actions and in truth. See, at the end of the day, Jesus did not come to change your belief systems. I think we have this idea that if we just get the right information in people, then somehow their lives will be transformed. See, what Jesus came to do is to actually transform your heart so that you actually might care about the things that he cares about. 
And now, now, let me be clear that knowing the right things is an important part because that informs how we do what we do. But that's not the end game. It's the means to the end of actually caring for the things he cares about. Because who cares if you know that serving will lead to wholeness? Are you actually serving? Who cares if you understand that generosity will elevate your life? Are you actually being generous with your life? Who cares if you know that submission will move you to the next level? Are you actually submitting your life? I don't care if you have all the theories and the theologies memorized and you can repeat them eloquently. Is it actually happening in your life? See, how many of you are, how many of you are sick of the hypocrisy in the church? You just look around, you're just like, I'm sick of the hypocrisy. See, if, if you're sick of the hypocrisy in the church, then you will be a person who ruthlessly examines your own life, who ruthlessly examines where what I know to be true and how I actually live, where is the discrepancy? And how do I actually close the gap? Because spiritual maturity is not how much do I know? How much theology can I pare it back to you? It is what is the gap between what I know and how I live? And when that gap is closed, man, you will find yourself in a deep place of spiritual maturity. This is why I love people who who just get connected to Jesus for the first time. And all they know is like, man, I'm set free and Jesus loves me. (laughs) And they are so spiritually mature because they they are just running with it. And there are other people that could quote the theology of the scriptures better than most people I know. And their lives do not reflect living that out. And while they would be known as theologians, they may not be spiritually mature in that conversation. See, our thoughts and prayers when there is need for justice shouldn't be, God, please do something. It should be, God, what is my role in bringing rightness to this wrong? God, what is my response that you are calling me into in this moment that needs righteousness infused into a place where there is a void, there is a lack, there is darkness that has entered into this part of the world? Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you hear this conversation and there's a part of you that's like, great, another thing that I'm supposed to do? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, yes, okay, now I'm supposed to serve and I'm supposed to give and I'm supposed to be a good dad and mom and I'm supposed to, to be a good friend and I'm supposed to show up to this and now I'm also supposed to do justly. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but, but this year has been an overwhelm of the amount of injustice in the world that I'm supposed to care about, Yes? And there's this, there's this atrophy of care for what we should care about. Even this week, hearing about another shooting that took out a whole community of Asian women was like, man, another thing that we're supposed to care about in the grieving. Not like we shouldn't care about it, but just oh, another thing. And then talking to our friends and hearing from them in sheer love in Thailand and talking about Man, this also is an issue of trafficking because this, this lunatic who went in and shot up these massage parlors also knew where he could go to buy sex. And we also have to address that issue because more than likely many of these women were trafficked. And so there's a larger conversation then that opens up around, well, how do we engage justice, not just with racism and not just with this mass shooting, but then also how do we engage justice with human trafficking? It goes on and on and on and on about the things that we are supposed to care about. It's just another thing that isn't working, that we're supposed to care about, that we're supposed to fix, 
that we're supposed to do justly in? See, the beautiful thing about biblical justice is that it isn't fueled by a checklist. It is about you being connected to the spirit of God. It is about you being connected to his heart, to his mind, to his voice. And it's about you being connected to his righteousness and following his prompting on where and how he wants you to move. See, it's easy to look at the world and say, there's no way that I can begin to shine my little pin light into this darkness. But when, when we are connected to the voice of God, he will show you exactly where you are supposed to move and the things that you are supposed to care about and the things that you are supposed to engage in and trust that he will fill in the gaps with other people that he has called into other areas of life. See, doing justly is an act of a God-given vision, but performing justly is an act of self-glorification. And there's a difference between those two. Now, this can also be a cop-out, trust me. When horrible things happen in the world and, and we, we find ourselves going, well, you know, God hasn't called me to care about that, right? <laughs> that, that can also be a complete cop-out in this conversation of saying, well, God didn't really tell me to do that or whatever it may be. But, you know, it's interesting how God moves with this. I, I often think about, like, this small example of when you're out and about and there's a guy that comes up to you or a lady that comes up to you and says, hey, do you have any change, Right? Those are, those are awkward moments, are they not? I don't care who you are. They're kind of like weird spaces, especially if you're like, hey, I just need to get to the grocery store. Hey, I'm just trying to do, I'm just trying to get my coffee. Or maybe you find yourself with a bleeding heart and you don't have any money on you. They're, they're awkward situations. You know, here's the thing. Sometimes in those moments, we give money because we pause and God says, no, you need to give money right now. Like, I'm going to obey. God, God, what is it that you want me to do? Okay, yes. God's called me to give money right now to support this person, and so we give out of that. But let me just tell you, sometimes I give money because I need to give money for my own spirit, because I recognize the own greed inside of me, the, 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 the lack of compassion, the, the busyness of my day. And sometimes it's not, hey, God told me to. Sometimes it's I need to do this for my own well-being. And both can be true all at the same time. And here's the news flash. For those of you justice junkies out there, for those of you who are also looking at this with a bit of cynicism saying, how are we going to solve everything? Newsflash, we're not going to fix the world. We're not going to solve the world from it. We're not going to save the world from itself anytime soon. So the question shouldn't be, God, how does this get fixed? The question should be, God, who are you saving that you want me to partner with you in? Who, 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 what's the part of the world or what's the piece of justice or, or, or what's, the, what's the type of engagement that you have called me to? And to own that with every part of your being. See, I think it's okay to say, hey, I, I recognize all the injustice in the world, but my focus is on this community in this part of the world right here. I recognize all the craziness that's taking part, but I am called to give my life and my resources and my energy to this injustice here because that's where God has called me and that's what I am created for. And that is how we act, do justly in the middle of this. But then he says, not just to act justly, he then says to love mercy 
as we are acting justly. Now, mercy can be defined easily as, as getting something that you didn't deserve. That, that, that's technically grace. Mercy is more like not getting what you deserved. You, you deserve something, right? If you think about it in a courtroom setting, if you go before a judge and you're like, hey, I know I deserve 10 years, and I, it's coming, and the, and the judge says, hey, I'm gonna have mercy on you. You're only gonna serve six months. You didn't get what was coming to you, right? You're a person of mercy in the middle of this conversation. Matthew 9, 10 through 13, Jesus has this moment where he's reclining at dinner. And it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, I love that sinners is in quotes, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, this is what I love about Jesus, is that Jesus was able to hold that plumb line for morality that we've been talking about. He was able to, in any situation, he stepped in to say, hey, here is the standard for how we are to live as human beings and how we are to treat other human beings. And at the same time, he refused to be overtaken by judgment with that. He refused to allow judgment to enter into that conversation. Now, what do tax collectors and prostitutes have to do with justice in this? I want you to just for a moment think of every screwy decision you've ever made. Now, there's probably a long list, right? Some of you longer than others, but just think about, think about the last screwy decision that you made. That you're, you look back and you're like, that was a dumb, dumb decision. Like you said the wrong thing, you did the wrong thing, you, you fell again into that thing that tempts you every single time. See, at that time, when you were engaged in it, it seemed like a good idea, didn't it? I mean, looking back now, you're like, that's stupid. But, but when, when you look back and you're like, man, I know I lied to that person. And in the moment, it felt like a good idea because I needed to save my butt, right? <laughs> or even something small when you're like, I knew I shouldn't have had that third cookie, but I did, right? And now looking back, you're like, that's a screwy decision. But, but then it was like, yeah, it was a cookie, right? <laughs> and here's the thing is that every single decision that we make in life at the time appeared like a good idea. It appeared like, hey, this, this seems like the best idea that's available to me. And what I found in working with a lot of people and looking at my own life is that people generally don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what we should do today? We should make a bunch of bad decisions. No one does that. No one wakes up and says, you know what I want to do? I want to go get addicted to something. Yeah. No one wakes up and says, you know what I want to do? I want to blow up my marriage today. No one wakes up and says, you know what? I just want to be completely immoral with my existence. And yet we find ourselves in these places. I, I don't know too many little girls that wake up and say, you know, one day I want to sell myself for sex. I, I don't think that, that occurs to too many young women in the world. I don't think young boys wake up and say, you know what I want to be when I grow up? A thief. That just doesn't happen. And yet we find ourselves in these situations. And what I love about Jesus when he connected with people who were prostitutes or tax collectors or people in all walks of the spectrum, Jesus had an amazing way of engaging with those people and saying, hey, look, those decisions that you're making are not the most healthy decisions for your soul or for the soul of the people around you. So let's heal 
whatever's going on inside of you that led to that decision. He doesn't make it right. Whenever he was with prostitutes or tax collectors, he wasn't celebrating sex work. He wasn't celebrating stealing. He wasn't celebrating greed. And yet he was able to hold that space without judgment and say, let's, hey man, let's, let's heal whatever's going on. But at the same time, he said, let's also figure out this environment that you found yourself in that led to those decisions that you're making, which is why he created this movement known as the church. Because Jesus recognized that when prostitutes and tax collectors got into proximity with him, their lives would change because the environment shifts. And that's why Jesus, God in his wisdom, created a movement known as the church so that people could transform the environment that they are in, so that they could be healed, so that they could see new possibilities for decisions available to them and around them. So Jesus said, I'm giving you proximity to me so that we can create new environments that will lead to new decisions, that will lead to new futures. But this, Jesus revealed this, that we too have a need for redemption. He keeps going back to this, that All of us are in need of justice, that our sins may just be a little less arrestable, right, (laughs) than others. And he says, look, you still need justice for yourself in the middle of this. See, if justice is the what, then mercy is the why in this conversation. And we are to love mercy, to revel in mercy. In those moments where God lavishes his mercy on someone who deserved judgment, who deserved punishment, who deserved some type of damnation, and instead he says, I'm going to lavish mercy on you. Those are the moments where God shines the most. When he looks at the tax collector and he says, look, you're getting mercy. When he looks at the prostitute and says, you're getting mercy. And then when he looks at the widow and the orphan and the immigrant and he says, look, no, no fault against you, but you had a crazy future coming to you, so I give you mercy now. I choose to transform the environment that you find yourself in. And here's the thing. If your justice movement is fueled by Jesus, it will always be fueled by mercy. If your justice movement is informed by anything else, it can only be informed by judgment. Justice can only be informed by one of those others, one of the others. It will either be fueled by mercy or it will be fueled by judgments. And here's the crazy thing is the scriptures constantly pit mercy against judgment. They're, they're, They're just constantly at odds with one another. And this is the differentiator for biblical justice is that it is fueled by mercy. I mean, have you noticed the lack of mercy in the culture right now? and the overwhelming amount of judgment in the culture right now. You can't get anything wrong, and you will find yourself attacked by the mob. There's no room for dialogue. There's no room for nuance, let alone missing it in any way, shape, or form, which informs me that what is informing most of our justice movement today is judgment. And I actually have a lot of sympathy for though, and empathy for those who are caught, caught up in that because that is a heavy burden to bear, being the judger of humanity. And if we're going to err on any side of this, I would rather err on the side of giving way too much mercy. 
I would much rather err on that side. By the way, isn't it interesting that we all love a good mercy story? We all love a, we love, we love a good comeback story. I mean, they make some of the best movies. They make some of the best like, stories. They make some of the best books. When there's this moment where, where someone deserves punishment or they were on their way to bankruptcy or they were on the way to destroying their lives and all of a sudden mercy floods in and they're elevated to a place that they were not expected. See, our souls long for that because we were made for the mercy of God in this justice conversation. It's the story that we were made for. Which leads us to the last part of this equation, if you will, to act justly, to love mercy. And this last part is to walk humbly. Marla gave an incredible talk a few weeks ago on, on mercy. I highly recommend listening to the podcast on what that means. But humility is such an interesting word because we oftentimes think of it as making ourselves lowly. When people talk about humility, humility they're like, I just got to you know, make myself low. I got to make myself invisible. I got to kind of grovel at the feet of everyone else and make sure that I'm not elevating myself too much. But that's actually the opposite of humility. <laughs> humility is actually seeing yourself accurately, of looking at yourself and saying, hey, I am clear. Here's the places where I shine, and here are the places where I miss it. Here are all of my gifts and talents and abilities and the things that I have to offer, and here are all my liabilities. I know all of them, and I'm willing to examine both so I know clearly what I have to give away to the world. That's the purpose of humility in the middle of this. See, if, if justice is the what and mercy is the why, humility is the attitude of heart that we are to engage justice with. Now, why humbly? Why not powerfully, right? Wouldn't that make more sense? Act justly, love mercy, walk powerfully. Or maybe even like act justly, love mercy, walk courageously, right? Seems like mercy, like humbly is an odd one in here. And, and I don't know about you, but when I think about people who are committed to justice, I don't oftentimes think about them as the most humble people on the planet. Because here's the thing, when, when we fail to see ourselves accurately, to take an assessment of what's working, what's not working, where are our assets and where are our liabilities, we usually move to one of two places. And the first place is that some people move to, you'll have to notice where you are drawn to, is that we see ourselves too lowly, which blinds ourselves to the power that's available to us. It blinds us to the gifts we have. It blinds us to what we have to offer to the world around us. And so we start asking these questions like, well, what can I do, little old me over here? What gifts do I have? What change can I make? So we find ourselves sitting back and being the one who's taken advantage of, the disadvantaged one, out of self-pity. See, in this place, people quickly identify themselves as victims, as powerless, and we see others as more powerful, and we are left without any way of moving forward. And so when we're unwilling to walk humbly, we will find ourselves in one camp of seeing ourselves too lowly. But then there's the other camp, of course, of seeing ourselves too highly. And this blinds us to the call of service on our lives. We, we know clearly what we have to offer, and we know clearly our, our liabilities at times, but we find ourselves unwilling to serve. And so we look at the task of doing justly and loving mercy, and we say, that's beneath me. You know, others, others can do that. That's for those people that are made for that. Or we'll like give a few bucks and say, I did my thing. I feel good now because I, did, I checked it off the list. Uh, I made sure that this took place and, and everything is supposed to. Or we look down at anyone who doesn't do justly the way that they are supposed to, from my perspective. 
And so we start seeing each other as, no, that's not the way you're supposed to do justly. That's not the thing that you were supposed to post. That's not the way you're supposed to. That's not the thing you're supposed to care about. So we look down at the people we see as looking down on others in this conversation. And the judgment just doubles down. And we ride in on our high horse and we ride in with our arrogance. And in this case, we live from a place of contempt, looking down on others. And this comes from a deep place of insecurity, of wondering one day, will I fall off the horse and everyone finds out? You know, I've talked to so many people over the last year. Marla and I have just been committed to dialogue. We have, we have had endless phone calls and Zoom conversations and engagements with people across the spectrum uh, in conversations about race and in conversations about gender and in conversations about poverty and every conversation you can imagine and people and with every position that you could think of across the board just to say what's going on out there so we can get a pulse with what society's saying. And I, I feel like people are constantly trying to tell other people how they're supposed to see themselves. Have you noticed that? There's like this overwhelming cultural conversation saying, this is how you are supposed to see yourself. And if you don't identify that way, then there's something wrong with you or you're missing something. And so we start putting all these hashtags on one another. Hashtag racist. Hashtag oppressed. Hashtag privileged. Hashtag oppressor. Hashtag marginalized. Hashtag victor. Hashtag victim. Hashtag responsible. Hashtag ally. Hashtag overlooked. Hashtag powerful. Hashtag powerless. Hashtag dehumanized. And so we find ourselves wanting to categorize who one another are. And then we wonder why we're so confused. And the overwhelming thing that I've heard from almost everyone is, I don't feel like I fit into any of these categories and I'm afraid to say it. I don't feel like these labels define who I am as a holistic human being. And so they're wondering, how do I fit in this? The interesting thing about humility in the scriptures is that it's one of the only things that the scriptures say to do yourself. It doesn't say like call on God and he will humble, he will give you humility. It doesn't say pray for humility. The scriptures over and over and over again, like humble yourself, right? <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to pray about this. You don't need like a spiritual gift. You don't need to have like a Holy Ghost moment where you're shaking and speaking in tongues. You just need to humble yourself, right? See yourself accurately in this. Now, here's the thing that I have noticed that when, when I, when we are unwilling to humble ourselves, we will find ourselves humiliating others. That's where we naturally move towards. When we are unwilling to do the hard work of humbling ourselves, we will take it upon ourselves to make sure that everyone else is humiliated that needs to be humiliated. And justice, divorced from humility, always looks to who it can humiliate every time. Now, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says this to us. Paul says this to us in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, about how we are to be with one another. It says, I, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called with one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over and through and in all. See, we are first called to see each other as one. And in my humility, seeing myself accurately, I then have a platform to do justly and love mercy. Once I see myself accurately, it's like, oh, clear. I'm supposed to do justly and to love mercy in that place because I now know who I am and I know what I'm working with, right? I'm clear. I get how I'm supposed to give my life away. But now I also have patience for every single other person there that is in the process of getting themselves humbled as well. I now look out and go, got it, man, they're missing it. And I do not have eyes to look at them through judgment. I have eyes to look at them through mercy and humility and say, how can I come alongside of them and serve them? Because obviously something's going on for them, that they are missing the gift that they were made to be to do justly in the world. And it fuels a whole different perspective that I live with. See, part of being committed to walk humbly, to seeing yourself accurately, is constantly asking God to reveal. This goes back to the, to, to the hypocrisy part, where if you're committed to alleviate, removing, alleviating hypocrisy in the church, you will just be committed to seeing yourself accurately, and you will be asking God, reveal to me, keep revealing to me, keep revealing to me what's there, who I am, where I'm missing it, where I'm making the mark, what's going on. And David was famous for this in the scriptures. He was constantly saying, God, search me, know me, because I want to see. I want to know everything that is there. I want to see everything. Where am I missing it? Where am I on track? Where is my vision clouded? God, search me. And part of that is allowing others to speak into that as well. Going out and searching out feedback and saying, hey, I need to know, what do you see so that you can inform me of what's missing in my own life so that I can continue walking in humility? Am I seeing myself too high? Am I seeing myself too low? See, both of those are designed to protect you, not to serve the world around you. And so we want to know. And so this is our calling. If there was a formula, this is the formula. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, I I so long for us to be a community that is known as a people of justice. And we we already do. I I long to, to grow in that reputation, to grow in that mission, to grow in that calling, But I know that it can only come when that last part is added in, when we are walking humbly with our God, and that he is informing our justice. See, because we are called to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, but without that last part, with our God, we find ourselves stuck in this cultural pattern, which sounds like performing justly and loving judgment and running to humiliate each other. See, that's the flip side of this. And it's the, it's the ugliness that we can't seem to get out of in our culture around us. But what I love is that 
that Jesus doesn't attack the culture. He just says, hey, here's, here's a new way of relating to the very same thing. I think if Jesus was going to speak to the culture around us, he would say, I love, I love your heart for justice. I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm so in love with the fact that you want to do good in the world. But how and why and the attitude has to shift if you're going to make the impact that you're longing to make. And this is what Jesus invites us into. And this is why it isn't working and it becomes so cyclical because the more we run to humiliate one another, the more we need to perform justly. And then the more we perform justly, the more judgment we have against ourselves and the world around us, which only leads us to humiliate others. And it goes round and round and round. And the tragic thing is that the people around us who actually need justice are getting missed in the cycle. And that's what's keeping us from fully stepping into this calling. So, so for, let me just say this clearly. For those of you who are sick of this pattern that you're seeing taking place in the world around you, the answer is not to say we don't need justice. The answer is not to make justice a four-letter word. It's to become culture creators. That's our calling. It's, it's to take a look and say, got it. I, I, I see what God is doing. Let me show you a new way that will actually produce the fruit that you're longing for. And to step up and into our own God-given space of doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly. See, let, let's, let's be the people that just put down all the hashtags. Because at the end of the day, it's all performance. But let's just put them all down. I don't care what side of the aisle you are on politically, sociologically, ideologically. Just put them down. <laughs> and let's start living like we've actually been redeemed. Or if you haven't been redeemed, that redemption is coming. Because the redeemed seek to create redemption everywhere they go. And that is who we are called to be. May we be the people that do justice, that love mercy, and that walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. God, I'm, I'm so passionate about this. I, I, God, I, I long for you to speak louder. And I, I know that that only comes from us living louder, from us engaging louder, and not from a place of judgment, God, from a place of mercy. Let us, like, spare us from falling into the trap, God, of responding to judgment with judgment, of responding to performance with performance, of responding to humiliation with humiliation, God. May we interrupt the cycle. I pray that that for those of us here, for those of us who are listening, who are watching online, God, that you would call us to become a people that are culture creators. God, that no matter where we're at on the spectrum right now, that you would realign us back into recognizing that we are called to do justly in this world, to bring rightness into this world. God, and may you remind us even now of the mercy that you have lavished on us, that you have thrown on us, that you have continually shown us, God. And in that, may you, 
you allow us to walk humbly. God, to, to be those who know who we are and know what we have to give away. And from that space, we freely give. And Lord, I ask that, that you would create a new type of revolution that, that would come from the last place that, that people might imagine, the church. That we would rise up answering the question that so many have of why isn't this justice movement working? Why, why, why isn't it actually taking root, God? May you, may you call us into spaces to, be, to boldly proclaim, hey, I have a new way. And for those who are here today or watching online that have not yet connected to Jesus and you're like, this sounds like I'm, I'm in with this plan. I want to give you an opportunity to connect to him, to enter into a relationship with him. Because let me just tell you, without him, none of this works. It's like the first step because he is the redeemer and then he will allow you to redeem with him. So if you're here today or if you're online and you have not yet connected to Jesus, if you're here and you're like, hey, I'm all in with Jesus today, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, I want you just to raise your hand. Let me know that's you. If you're online, I want you just to click that button right now that says I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. I'm gonna raise my hand. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, just put in the comments, Jesus will know what that means. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's not magic words. It's just you connecting to Jesus and say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I'm broken and I know that you came and you died for me and you came back to life so that I could live. I thank you for that gift. And so I receive your forgiveness and I choose to now go do justly I will love the mercy that you have given me and I will show it to others. And I will walk humbly with you as an agent of hope in the world around me. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.